to the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Mass and All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Bobby Blanco here with you. Bobby, we are seeing some construction out our window. We have the shade closed for those who are watching mm-hmm. on our YouTube page and also on our Mass and All Access Facebook page. Mm-hmm. But behind the shade, there are some interesting things happening on the field. It's, uh, it's a lot going on. I actually just snapped a little photo of it to try to show people. There's a stage up in center field. They've got stairs coming down from the outfield stands onto the field. They've got Looks the sick. entire infield covered. Uh, they're getting ready for a big show Friday night in Billy Joel. Billy, Billy Joel. Bobby, what's your favorite Billy Joel song? Ooh, uh, probably We Didn't Start the Fire. Okay. We Didn't Start the Fire. Oh, or the song he sang, Why Should I Worry, from the Disney classic Oliver's Company. From Oliver's Company? Oliver and Company. Oliver and Company. Mm -hmm. Isn't it just called Oliver? No, I'm pretty sure it's called Oliver and Company. Is it about Oliver Twist? No, it's a, well, it might have some Oliver Twist. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Oliver and Company? Yeah, Yeah. Billy Joel, like, he voices one of, like, the main characters. Yeah, definitely Oliver and Company. Oh, it's the one with the cat. Yeah. 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 I vaguely remember this from uh, many years ago. Why should I worry? Why should I care? That's Can't wait one. to get slapped with a copyright infringement for... Uh, that was not even five seconds. <laughs> that was also... I mean, that was exactly how it sounded. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. that was Billy Joel to the T. Exactly. Uh, so that's happening at Oreo Park at Camden Yards on Friday. While the team is out of town, getting a big win last night, 7-2, to two, we're going to touch on... The trade deadline, because it is less than a week. It's exactly a week exactly away. Exactly a week next, away. Next Wednesday. At 4 o'clock. Yep. Uh, that is when the trade deadline happens. And, of course, that is the final trade deadline. No more waiver stuff. So, big, big deadline coming up for Michael Elias and company. We'll talk about that. We're also going to have uh, intern Cam, intern Brendan come on for a little fun game. They like to call two interns in a lie. Um, I'm deeply frightened. Frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah my job is probably on the line. They're looking to expose us. They have been eyeing us all week and they're saying you guys are toast. So yeah, they're basically going to give us three pretty outstanding, crazy stats. And we have to figure out which one they made up. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be tough. Frankly, I don't, I wouldn't put it past them to throw in like two fake stats yeah. just to, just to, we mess. need also like a second fit. We, like we can Amy Jennings news fat check them like and make sure <laughs> that all three of them aren't lies. Yeah, yeah, we that's gotta do fair. that because they very well could be. We would have no idea. She's <laughs> the most reporter of all of us. Anyway, yes. So uh, that makes the most sense. And then we've also got an interview at the end of the show. We were down in Frederick, Maryland, covering the Frederick Keys. Exciting young team that they have there. Of course, the uh, minor league affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. And we talked to Jeff Arnold, who is the broadcaster um, for that very team. Probably the most notable name. Uh, down there was D.L. Hall, but there are some other interest, intriguing names that we got to meet with and talk with yesterday, Bobby. Yeah, you chatted with Blaine Knight. Um, I, I like the Jeff Arnold. I like every time we do one of these trips, We, mm-hmm. you and I get to sit down. You did it this time. Um, you and I get to sit down with the broadcaster of the team because yeah. it kind of gives a side of the team, like these minor league teams that I think are might be more relatable for fans, for Orioles fans who don't get to go watch these guys, who don't follow these guys day yeah. in, day out like they do the Major League Club. So it's kind of like, you know, he has, he knows the ins and outs yeah. of, the, of the entire squad and the league. Like, he knows how they're, each of these players are stacking up in their respective yeah. leagues. So I like uh, chatting with um, these broadcasters, and Jeff Arnold was fantastic yesterday. There's only so much 
the internet can tell you about, especially about minor league teams and minor league players. Right. Like they, you learn, I've, I, I, you know, when you go to these minor league teams, like you learn half of the stuff on the internet beforehand. And then the other half is just like from the broadcasters. Cause they can just recall all of this. And they right. are the resident experts on those teams yep. and they know these players actually personally. So like it is a, they give you a totally different perspective um, that helps a whole lot. They they're worth half the, the internet research to that point. I think uh, you got, I think it was Blaine Knight. You got in, you got in a good conversation with about, Sabermetric, or maybe it was DL Hall, Blaine Knight it about Blaine Knight about throwing strikes and and, and uh, the data, and he kind of attributed. And if you missed the interview, go back on Mass and Orioles Facebook page, and I believe um, Mass and Orioles Twitter to go find the all, our Frederick show. But he was talking about how like yeah, these numbers are great and all, but I don't really buy into the hype of like you know these are all kind of guys just you know with the sabermetrics and, oh, and the yeah. rankings. DL Hall, I think that was, was DL, DL Hall, Hall right? Yeah, yeah okay, I'm confused. DL Hall. Anyways, um, how. These guys are just sitting behind computers and, and judging players based on their numbers, not putting a face to these numbers. And yeah. I think a lot can be said. He said, this is DL Hall speaking, for actually going out to the ballpark and watching these players play yeah. and doing a true eye test. We remember back in the day, back in the day, it was two years ago, or a year ago, Buck Showalter would always say, yeah, these numbers are great, but you know, have you watched him play? Have you seen the effort he puts out there? That That's stuff that these numbers can't show. Um, so I, I think that that's kind of along the lines with how Jeff Arnold kind of sees uh, the Frederick Keys. Yeah. D.L. Hall, fascinating conversation too. For a young kid, he still doesn't turn 21 till November-ish. Um, he is a very smart kid. So um, very interesting interview and one of the top three prospects in the Orioles system. Yeah. All right, let's get to this current team and the trade deadline. Bobby, before we do real quickly, remember to like, subscribe. Please give us five stars, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, all that good stuff, wherever you can find us. Please, and of course, you can watch our beautiful faces on Masson All Access Facebook page and mm-hmm. uh, on the YouTube page. All right, so the trade deadline around the corner. Um, I feel like the Orioles are in a position where Kashner might have been their most sure piece to have gotten dealt. He's already gone. So what are they left with? I feel like they're left with a lot of guys in the middle group that are probably less than 50% that they're traded, but there are just a lot of them. So odds are maybe one or two of them will get dealt. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think... Obviously, the Orioles are in a position where everyone expects them to be selling, dealing a lot of their players. But how many of these players are truly desirable by other yeah. teams? You know, and because some of them have put together solid seasons at times, and other times they haven't. Um, some of the guys that maybe were surefire things, like a Trey Mancini, went through a huge slump, and now it's like, well, he's not as desirable anymore because he's not playing so well right now. How much can they? How much can these players on um, on the Orioles' current roster affect and help other teams for these next two months of the season into maybe October? That's why people will, teams trade at the trade deadline for guys like this. So it'll be interesting to see you go through this roster and see which guys um, are, A, playing well right now, and B, can continue that success to help someone else down the line. And then C, also get a good return for the Orioles. Well, last year, of course, Jonathan Scope, had a very poor first half of the season. Then Manny Machado gets traded. His best friend leaves. And then he has an amazing week, wins AL Player of the Week, and then increases his, his value enough to cons- to convince the Brewers to trade for him. Mm-hmm. Bobby, you came up with a list of four players who in this last week might be able to put up a final push 
um, right before the trade deadline that might convince other teams to go out and get them. Yeah, well, the first name is the obvious name. Um, the guy that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks is Michael Givens. I don't think that's, I mean, as long as he doesn't go out and have another uh, stretch like he did a while ago where he was was giving a bunch of runs and blowing saves, I think he's going to be one of the top names that uh, teams are going to be asking about when, when calling Mike Elias. Um, so let's let's just that's that was already a, a given. A given yeah. a givens is a given. <laughs> so let's let's just move on from him already. Uh, Dwight Smith Jr. You know he did go for that slump, zero for thirty three. You know the Dwight hype was kind of fading in Baltimore, but he's got hits in his last four games. He had a three run homer last night, uh, also a double I believe or a single. Um, so multi hit game, multiple RBIs. Uh, he's maybe catching getting hot at the right time, like leading up to this final league to the trade deadline. Um, a guy that can provide a bat to an offense, a, a, a bat off the bench, possibly. Um, it's a possibility. It's also interesting to see how this market's going to turn out, Paul. Well, I mean, we know that pitchers are always hot commodity. People want pitchers. And it seems like this market's specifically starting pitching. Um, and, and that might not be something the Orioles exactly have. Like you said, Kashner yeah. might have been the biggest trip already to fall and, and leave. And, you know, the next guy on my list might be Dylan Bundy. He pitched well last night in um, in Arizona, only two runs, but, you know, he had a high pitch count that got him yanked in the sixth. And also, I think they were being cautious because of his knee. Yeah. Um, to the nice in the knee. But uh, he went scoreless after the second inning until through the sixth. So, solid outing. He'll get another chance, I believe, Sunday. He's lined up to pitch Sunday in Anaheim against the Angels. How well he does there could be determined, you know, all right, he might be worth going after for another team to come try to get him. Yeah. Um, and the final guy on the list is Jonathan VR, a guy who can play multiple infield positions, uh, especially up the middle. Um, obviously he's playing mostly second base here in Baltimore, but he does have a history of playing shortstop. Uh, another one of those guys, he's been up and down too. Like he's, you feel like he's hot for a week and then you feel like a cold for a week. I'm not exactly sure where, again, I think the market's more heavy on pitching this, this year, like most years. Um, so I don't know where infield, It'll be probably got teams looking to add infield depth on their on their rosters uh, heading into October. And I will say, I think Jonathan VR at this point, I would have thought and would have hoped that he was hitting a little bit higher than 251. Right. I think if he were closer to like a 275 or something, he might be a little bit more attractive because he can play multiple infield positions. Not a terrific defender, but they teams need somebody who can come off the bench or can you know right fill right. In spots I mean, he's not he's not completely helpless out there. He can no. play the he can play the positions, but he's also a guy. You know, like, like we just said, up and down all season. If this happens to be one of his up weeks where he yeah. starts slugging the ball from now until next Tuesday, teams will be like, all right, maybe he can add something to us, yeah. and 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 we can give up a couple prospects for a guy like this. And teams always he was you know it'd be interesting if the Orioles could flip him at this deadline after getting him last year for, yeah. for scope and teams tend to bank on a track record long right. long-term track record so i think that's um you know givens doesn't have the lowest era of anybody in the bullpen the orioles bullpen right now it's a 4.23 right now but because he has a track record of at times being a very good reliever teams are going to say look at that and say that's enough to convince me yeah um so those are four interesting names I think if the team, I think if the Orioles, they would probably most likely of those two guys, of those four guys, probably deal Givens and Bundy. Yeah, but again, I think that's probably also because of yeah. the market. It's but, nothing against VR or Smith. Yeah. It's just that teams, more teams are looking for pitching. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think that Mike Elias, nor should he, feel any pressure to do a bad deal. You know, oh, he's, right. he's not going to get rid of a guy just to get rid of a guy. Right. He's going to make sure he's get, he gets good return. Um, I think there are some other names also out there that are in kind of this middling group that might, 
it, we really don't know what the league ha- thinks of these guys in general. We're kind of in the bubble of the Orioles, um, and we know what they think of them in-house, but what does the league think of them? Um, there are a bunch of names um, that are, I think, in that kind of middle group. Um, Pedro Severino is, I think, kind of flying under the radar. Now he's, he's you know, with Chancisco coming up, um, he's kind of been relegated to the reserve backup catcher role. But there are guys, there, there's a need for a backup catcher mm-hmm. a- around in, in the league. And Severino, you know, he's cooled off since he had that hot start to the season. He's still batting 258. And like a lot of the, these guys on the list that I'm going to name, he's under team control for a ridiculously long time. Yeah. Till 2024. So how much does, do other teams see that and say, we have a young controllable piece that, you know, we might be willing to give up a lot for. But then also on the flip side, Michael Elias might say, all right, well, in 2024, we might be a playoff team. We might be, you know, a, a, a team that is, you know, in the hunt, right. uh, a, a true contender. So is he going to want to get rid of that guy that is is so controllable that we'll have, if he still performs well, we'll have the same trade value next year and the year after. Um, so Severino is one of those guys. Hanser Alberto crushes left-handed. He does. 4-11 against lefties, and he still has a little bit of pop, six homers. Um, will be interesting to see. Under control for t- till 2023. Uh, Renato Nunez, you can't look past his 24 homers. He's still hitting 251, but 24 homers at this point. That's a lot. I know we're in the home run age, but, I mean, that is something he, teams, I think, would f- still value that. And in terms of his um, secondary statistics, he is... According to Stackast, his exit velo is near the top of the league. His hard hit percentage, his expected slugging percentage, his sprint speed, all his secondary stats are above average. Hmm. So teams might look at that and say that's enough to, you know, and obviously he doesn't play great third base and they use him sparingly there. They mostly DH him. But as a, a bench hitter, I would think Renato yeah. Nunez would have some value. Especially coming in the playoffs facing a matchup lefty. Yeah. You know, if he hits lefties that well, that's a guy you want on your bench to come up in, in a big spot. Yeah. So and then um, Means is obviously a massive, massive question mark. He's still under three ERA. The question mark is: Are they going to, do, you know, do they see him as a long term piece of this what organization? What do you mean? Um, when you nod your head, yes. Yeah. When, but you want to say no. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah you got it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that is going to be a question to see if if this organization sees him as a long term piece. And then one more name that I think might have some sneaky value is Paul Fry. He's got an under four ERA. Um, he's in a good amount of sample size. He's thrown three, 38 and a third innings. He's a lefty, so teams value lefty relievers, of course. Um, and he's under team control for a lot of years until 2025, which makes me think Elias might want to hold on to him. Um, and he also does check the box of having a little bit of a track record. Right. Only his second season, but last year with the team, he did have a three three five ERA. And uh, he is dominating left-handed hitters. Lefties are hitting just 107 against him this season. Yeah. So I could see him as a, a matchup lefty if, if a team wants to go out and get him. Yeah, so like I guess the our whole point right here of this discussion is who could be more likely to be traded. Yeah. And I think if we're comparing our two lists, I think my list are a bunch of guys who have obviously way more tradable contracts. Yes. You know, guys who are coming off soon off the books soon yep. anyway so 
you might as well get something back for them. Your list is a bunch of guys that like I can see Mike Elias wanting to hold on to. Yeah. And unless true. a deal blows him away, he's not going to trade them. Yeah. Um, especially a guy like John Means, especially guys like Nunez, Paul Fry, who's again only in his second year and has been pitching pretty consistently. A left hander. Yeah. Both of those guys are left handers. Pedro Severino is a good one. Yes, there's a market for backup catchers, but I mean, he could be your starting catcher for the next couple of years and he's under team control through 2024. Well, at least until Adley. Well, correct. That's <laughs> true. But then you'll be a fantastic backup catcher that's still under control for five more seasons. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think it's those guys are all guys that I'm sure Michael Lowes will see, at least in some reality, sees maybe as a part of the, this team's long-term future. But doesn't mean they're completely off the table. We yeah. don't have to take a, uh, a deal that blows him away. A sizable offer. Right. Yeah. And the other question, you know, there may there may be a guy on that list that the league thinks higher of them than Elias and this front office do. Right. You know, they might think that this guy's value right now is the highest it's ever going to be. Right. Then maybe they feel that way about, you know, and maybe they feel that way about Severino considering they have Chancisco and Adley on the way. So, um, you know, it, it, it could be one of those things where they think, look, if it, this guy is definitely definitely crossed him off. They've seen enough from one of these guys and say he's not part of our long-term future. But another team is willing to give up something for him. Okay. Then Might we as can well. Do that. Right. Um, but, yeah, Paul Fry, I think, he has the most value, but also who knows in terms of if they want to, uh, you know, maybe – think about him as a starter down the line yeah. you never know interesting that we did not mention Trey Mancini on either of these yeah. lists so that's another huge huge I, I think if Trey Mancini was going to be a, a major trade ship this trade deadline we would have been talking about it for weeks now I think that slump really hurt his value and they're I mean, this also, I'm not saying definitely, but I'm saying that there's probably a very small amount of interest throughout the league in him that could obviously ramp up in the next few weeks, that could ramp up next Tuesday right before 4 o'clock, clearly, because he's a great player and he's controllable. But, uh, you know, all of these, you know, you, every day now, with the week, the week leading up to the trade deadline, you see all these articles coming out across all, all the different websites, MLB, the athletic, blah, blah, blah. Like, these are the main guys you should look at. Trey Mancini's nowhere to be found on those. So I don't think the league is expecting him to be traded either. It's going to, yeah. It, it's tough to tell because there are two sides of this, and obviously he's a first baseman who can play the outfield but not terribly well above average defensively. Mm-hmm. So what do teams think of him? And and what do the Orioles think of him? So I don't expect, I still don't, you know, the Orioles are a rebuilding team, but I still think this is going to be overall a fairly quiet trade deadline. Uh, for, and just and for the Orioles for the or Orioles, for overall? For the, for the Orioles. Orioles. I, I don't see too many of these guys getting dealt over under, I would say, of the all the guys that we listed and any guys that we might not have mentioned, how many guys do you think on the current 25 or 40-man roster end up getting dealt? I would say... Two around two, yeah, and yeah, from from not including Cashner, who's already been dealt. Right? Yes, right. yeah, two yeah. more, so two more, now. yeah, yeah. I would say two max. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it might be a fairly quiet trade deadline for the Orioles, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Always opportunities to go out and get young players. Keep in mind, uh, I don't want to see any comments about. Uh, well, you should have traded this guy. Should, well, it takes two to tango. You know, just because Your you wanted to phrase. get, I, it does. I mean, I, I hate 
fans who were just like, why didn't you trade this player? It's like, well, no one wanted to trade for yeah. him. It was like, you can't just trade a guy. You can't just give him away. Yeah. It has, the other team has to be willing to take him and give something else up. So it takes you to tango. Keep that in mind, please. Always on July 31st. And of course, we will have you covered on Mass and All Access on Trade Deadline Day, which is Wednesday. So be sure to look out for that. All right. We're going to have two interns and a lie coming up right after this short message from intern Brendan. Hey, Orioles fans, Brendan Mortensen here from the Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. When we're all wrapped up, be sure to head over to MassInSports.com for even more Orioles content. This week, Rock Cabaco tells you how Renato Nunez is making his return to third base. Plus, Steve Molesky fills you in on a comeback in Bowie. Those stories and everything O's can be found right there on MassInSports.com. Two interns and a lie. Bobby, we have been deposed. We, yes. We have been, we usually chill over at the podcast desk, but uh, sometimes I get to dabble over to the actual desk. Yes. Now we have two interns there. Yeah. Wait, I feel like. I feel like the power balance has shifted because they're now in like the actual branded mass and all access desk and we're just playing with our bobbleheads. <laughs> We've taken over now. This has always been our desk, actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. You just didn't know it yet. Cam is already like Snapchatting himself at the desk. Yeah. So he yeah, is uh, living his best life. There you go. All right, guys, you have a, a fun little game for us in which you intend to expose us. We do. Time? We do. It is called Two Interns and a Lie. Okay. We will each round. We will tell you three things. Two of those things will be true. One of them will not. Two of them will be interns. One will be a lie. Yeah, so that's intern Brendan and intern <laughs> Cam. Why don't you say hello? Hello. There you go. <laughs> All right, there cool. There you go. All right, so you guys have to tell us which one you think is the lie. And we're teaming up on this, right? Like this yeah, you, is, can, okay. you can discuss. Also, this is an interesting balance of Syracuse and Maryland. Yeah, yes. from the outside. Go Terps. Yeah, there you go. Atta boy. Go <laughs> Terps. Shout out Amy behind the And so it's... All right. Paul, we got this. I, I have complete faith in us. I have no faith in that's myself. That's good to hear. I have faith in you. That's what you want to hear. There's All right. only one way to find out. Give us one. All right. First one. Renato Nunez has more home runs and RBIs than former AL MVP Mookie Betts. Option two. Bryce Harper has fewer home runs but more RBIs than Renato Nunez. And option three. Yasiel Puig has a higher offensive war than Renato Nunez. What was the second one? Bryce the Harper second has one, Bryce Harper has fewer home yeah. runs but more RBIs than Renato. So Nunez is the common denominator. Mm-hmm. Yes. The second one is true. Okay. The first and, and the third one was Yasiel Puig has a higher offensive WAR than Renato Nunez. That would be surprising because Puig has not had a great year, but he probably plays more often. Yeah, I would go. I would say that the would first say, one is incorrect. That is the falsehood. Drumroll. I feel like, I feel like Mookie Robbie. Betts is having a good year, right? Is that, is that an official? I mean, he is. He was MVP last year. He was think. MVP last year, but you, Bobby weigh in on this. You seem confident. All right, I'll, I'll say A. A is the lie. Yes. yes. A is true. Oh, is it C? Renato Nunez like has C. more home runs and RBIs than Mookie Betts. C is the lie. Ah, that, that is that would have been my guess. Wow. Renato Nunez has an offensive right, war of more. one. Cam, you grew up. He's at point nine. Cam, you grew up as a Red Sox fan. How does that feel? That one hurt a little bit. Yeah, honestly. I'll bet that one hurt a little bit. Um, I think Betts does lead the league in runs, though, doesn't he? He's still having uh, a good year. Up there. Yeah. He's up there, just yeah. not I mean, as good as last year. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, 0 for 1. 0 for 1. 0 for 1. Great I guess, start, I got to be more definitive it was in, a good in my selections. Yeah. It's a good warm-up. Can't just let Paul walk all over me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So on to 
set number two. Uh, John Means has a lower ERA than Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. Hmm. Second option, John Means has the fewest wins of any all-star pitcher. Ooh. And option number three, Marcus Stroman has fewer walks per nine than John Means. Well, B, there got to be relievers that don't have many wins. Starters. Starters. Amongst okay. the starters. Starting pitchers. What was the third one? Because I was thinking about the second one. Third one was Marcus Stroman has fewer walks per nine than John Means. I think A, again, is the falsehood. I think... I was going to go... Uh, you think Ver... Cause, uh, so, Means has an ERA of just... It's like 2.96. I just had it in my head. Yeah. Verlander... There's no way Verlander has a higher... He has a an ERA over three? Does he? I mean, I think it's... Po- I know... Oh, he's also in the It's American possible, League. but I think it's unlikely. I don't know who leads the American League in ERA. I have no idea about Marcus Stroman walks per nine. Yeah, that seems like no. so out there. Stroman's having a very good year. Yeah, I know. It seems like it's so out there. Has to be true. I know, but I don't know about wow, walks per nine. Um, and I feel like uh, John Means, unfortunately, gets a few good amount of walks. Yeah. He doesn't, I know he doesn't strike out a lot, so he, I think he probably walks a bunch. Not a bunch, but like a solid amount. I would say A is the lie. All right. We're going with A is the yeah. lie? Wrong again. Oh, is it B? Wrong again. B is, is it B? the lie. I was B? B? B is that the lie. That seemed like too odd to like not be true you know think back what pitcher did you talk about earlier in the year that never gets any help never anything but he's a fantastic pitcher nl east um jacob de grom ah, jacob yes. de grom only has five oh i was also only considering of the american league team i wasn't even thinking yeah. about the nl i thought that that to me team. that sounded just made up that was just like ah, that's what i'm saying i said it's yeah. so fake it kind of must yeah. be true yeah, that's john means has three more wins on the year than jacob de grom that's uh, wild. Right. Yeah. But on my ERA, horizons too. John Means ERA 2.96. Verlander is at 2.99. And Garrett Cole is at 3.03. Yeah, I know Garrett Cole had a little wow. higher one, but he strikes out a bunch. That's nuts, though, that, that DeGrom. I know DeGrom's not having a great year. Even with that outing against year. the Rays, John Means still has an ERA small, lower than uh, yeah. Verlander. That's crazy. Better than that Verlander. is nuts. Wow. All John right. Means Appreciation Day. John Means Appreciation. All right. Number three. Moving on. Option one. Right, we gotta get one. Yeah. You guys gotta get one. How many? Oh, are I'm keeping track at home. They are over two now. How over many? How many of those are there? Like six. We got five. 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 We got five. five. Oh, We're so on number three. We can still finish about five hundred. Option one for number three. Mike Trout has more hits than Trey Mancini. Option two. Trey Mancini has a batting average at least fifteen points higher than Max Muncie. Option three. Trey Mancini has as many home runs. As Edwin Encarnacion, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say. I, personally, I think C. I think C too. I think C is incorrect. Yeah, C. Because there's no way Trout has fewer hits than Mancini. Right. There's also. Wasn't Trey was sidelined for a little bit? I don't yeah. think Mike has been. Uh, he has been a little bit. Oh, you're right. He missed That's some right. games, That's right. That's but right. I still don't. I but still he's still hitting either. way over 300. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think it's. Good. And what was B again? Uh, B was 15 points higher than somebody. Trey Mancini has a batting average at least 15 points higher than Max Muncy. Muncy's hitting All-star a lot. Max Muncy. Muncy hit a lot of homers. Just batting average, though. Not batting just, average, not, yeah. just, not OPS. I would say I would say C. I would say C, too. C is the lie? Yeah. Uh, that one is correct. Just oh, kidding. Right. Just kidding. What? It's wrong again. You what? Are what? Are you? Oh, that was a genius. <laughs> wrong again. It was the, the, the lie was Mike Trout has more hits than Trey Mancini. Trey has 103. Mike Trout has 98. Wow. How many games have they played? 
That's absurd. You guys Free are so appreciation sure They're fact-checking it's us. Just, they don't believe us. No, I believe you. I'm just, believe I'm just seeing, I'm seeing the like, game's different. I guess because he, well, he walks a whole lot more. Yep. So, like, there go a bunch of plate appearances. Yep. Um, that is still crazy. I wonder how many games. I, I got to see. Trey but, has 103 hits. Mike Trout has 98. And they play in, in uh, wait, hits? Yeah. And they played in almost similar games. Actually, Mike Trout's played in one more game. That's nuts. 95 and 94. It's, it's got to be because Trout just walks so darn yeah. much. Yeah, 32 so. walks for Mancini. What is, what is Trout's average? It's over 300. No, 298. Oh, okay. Uh, but, yeah. but he's still oh, Mike yeah. Trout. Mike Trout has 79 walks. <laughs> <laughs> Trey Mancini's 38. <laughs> That'll do it. Wow. 41 more walks. That's nuts. All right, okay. over three. All right, over so we're not going to win this round. We're struggling That's hard with the, to do statistically. Yeah, right. Struggling with the stats. We can take a step back here to some more general trivia. Oh, okay. field That's field field that be, I don't know if this is going to be harder or, or less hard. I don't we'll leave see. the studio, so that could be That's, a problem. I yeah. can confirm that. He's mm-hmm. here at strange times. All the time. All the time. All right, number four, option one. The Oriole Bird mascot is a member of the Mascot Hall of Fame. <laughs> okay. Option two. The Oriole Bird's mascot official height is listed as somewhere between Tweety Bird and Big Bird. Okay. That's official. And option number three, the Oriole Bird's mascot favorite food is bird seed, but being from Maryland, with the occasional side of crab cake. Okay, I, those last two are true. It's, yeah, it's, it's gotta it's be A. A. It's a lie. That is correct. Let's go. That is the first correct answer. Yeah. Oh, hold on, no making sure he confirms that we're correct and he's not just toying with us yeah. again. <laughs> there are currently five major league mascots in the mascot hall of fame. Let me, wait, can I guess them? Let's hear it. Oh, give, them. give me extra wait, points. Wait, five major league. There's soon to be six when Grady. If I'm gets counting it. correctly, journalists. Hold on, major league Matt baseball. Goes. Oh, major league baseball. In in five major league baseball mascots in the mascot, mascot hall of fame. fame, the Philly fanatic. That is one. Um. Wally. <laughs> Wally, Mr. No. Not Wally. I know. Not Mr. Met. Mr. Met. Mr. Met. Yep. Uh, Mrs. Met. No. The first yeah. mascot. Um, um, not the Yankees mascot for a no day. <laughs> Have you ever heard that story? Yankees. It's wild. Uh, there was a Yankees mascot for a day. Yep. Um, the more you know. be in there. Uh, Orbit should be in there. Yeah. There's no chance he is. He Orbit is should not. Be, but he's he's not. too young. Yeah. He's too young. The Cubs don't have a mascot. I'm trying to think of older teams. Yeah. Oh, this old is the old Indians mascot in there? God, I hope Yikes. not. Yikes! I think that would be expunged. Uh, slider? There's an Indians mascot in there. I don't know. If oh, it's... oh, um, uh, the Braves mascot. Blooper. Uh, Blooper. No, he's young too. Young. But the Braves have been on right, forever. Who are, the, who are the other ones? The two outstanding are Slugger from the Kansas City Royals and oh. the San Diego Chicken. The, it's the a, San Diego Chicken. Yes, San Diego oh, Chicken. Yes. yes, Slugger is a lion, I think. Right? I have no idea. Yeah, I think I he's a lion. Remember, <laughs> that is wild. I have no idea. This is all. Uh, this is all fascinating. Yeah. Truly, that's I actually amazing. really like this. All right, continue. This so you guys are one for one four. four. Hey, that's better than zero for four. That's yeah. two fifty. You're Not almost bad. in three hundred. Let's let's get it up for the Royals. We are at number five. Option one: the first player to hit a ball onto Utah Street was former Oriole Kevin Bass on June eighth, nineteen ninety-five. The date doesn't matter. That's not what we're quizzing you on. It's just the player. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. The first, what was the phrase that again? The first player to hit a ball okay. onto Utah Street okay. was Oriole Kevin Bass. Okay. Uh, option number two, Oriole Park at Camden Yards was built for a cost of $110 million. And option three, Pope John Paul II once celebrated Mass at Camden Yards. It is A. I'm... It's A because C is definitely true. It has to be true. A is, it's A because 
Ken Griffey Jr. hit. No, no, no. Ken Griffey Jr. hit the warehouse in the All-Star game that year. I don't no, think no, it's it was, not that year. It was before that. Uh, it was, yeah, and, yeah. And I'm, and I'm, oh, oh, the... And I'm pretty sure, because I've read, I don't know why I, I read the Orioles media guide every year, but I'm pretty sure the first player to reach Youth Hall Street was not an Oriole. Really? Because there's more Wait, but they said the first Oriole. No, he said the first player. First that's, player. That's why I asked him to say the question again. Okay. I'm pretty sure, because there's more non-Orioles on, the, on Utah Street than Orioles. Also, did it take that long for an Oriole? Because yes, what I'm saying, it, it would have taken, what you said, 95, 94? June 8th, 1995. So three years for someone to reach Utah Street? There's no way. Yeah, because it was yeah, because ninety two was the first year. All right, I'm gonna go with I'm Bobby. A, I'm gonna go A. That is correct, and Bobby was spot on actually. So Kevin Bass was the first uh, Oriole player to hit it. Okay, but the first ever player was Mickey Tettleton of the Detroit Tigers, who had also formerly played for the Baltimore Orioles. That's oh, crazy. that's interesting. Quite the, yeah. quite the loop there. So all those times reading the Orioles media guide. Paid off. There yeah. you go, Bobby. So what we've learned is that you guys know a lot about trivia, not yards. current sports, <laughs> not, current, <laughs> not current baseball statistics. Yes. All right. Like we'll fit? we'll read up for next time. Yeah. Great job, guys. To. That was uh, a was a fun game. Yeah. And it was a decent decent effort on your part as well. Decent. Decent. Two for five. Um, Two for five. We hit four hundred. That's right. Does yeah. that math add up? Yeah. 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 Ted Williams. Not, thank you very much. Not bad. Not bad. Not right. bad. I'd like to finish over 500 next yep. time, though. All right. Thank you to intern Cam and intern Brendan. Right now, we have an interview with the Frederick Keys broadcaster, Jeff Arnold. He talked about the state of the Keys, some of their outstanding players, and the state of the Orioles franchise and the minor league system overall. Take a listen. Sitting down here on the Masson All Access podcast with Jeff Arnold, who calls the Frederick Keys, and you conveniently wore your Carolina League All-Star Classic shirt, which is perfect because <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. That was just sure. a month or so ago. How was that hosting here in Frederick, Maryland? It was so much fun. It was the first time that we'd had the All-Star game since 2005, and we had a great crowd that came out. We got ahead of our planning. We made sure we had a great title sponsor in Visit Frederick. And given all the different events that we had pregame with the hitting challenge, the autograph sessions, the amount of access that people that came out to the game had to the players and yeah. the coaches and everyone else, it made an incredible event. And on top of that, it was actually a really good game as well. You don't always yeah. get that with an all-star game. And you guys had the most representatives of any team. Was it nine or 10? We had nine representatives. We had one who got added at the very end like the last day of the first half there was one change where the indians brought one of their pitchers up who was actually an all-star and so the spot needed to be filled and you looked at where you were on the list and it gave an opportunity to sean miller who's one of our infielders who had a great may and so it was pretty cool to get another guy on our team an opportunity given that we're hosting the game that's awesome and you have been with this team covering them on the broadcast side for five seasons now so you are you know like everybody learning the new ins and outs of the new regime from up top with Mike Elias and Sigma Dell. What kind of changes have you seen from your end that have been implemented down here in Frederick that they have made at the top? Well, there are a lot of different ones. I mean, I think it starts with the shifting. You know, you're seeing players set up in a variety of different ways, depending on a card that all the players will have that'll, that'll, or that the two middle infielders will have that'll tell everybody, well, you should play in this spot when this guy is up. And it just, that's the way baseball is going with the different shifts and also what you're doing with the outfield and making sure players are accustomed to playing in right field if you're the second baseman or 
comfortable being on the left side of the infield if you're a second baseman or just these different types of positionings that you better get used to because if you go to the big leagues that's where you're going to be playing so yeah. you might as well be be comfortable with it now and I think that it's like even if it doesn't necessarily work I think the point is it's just get your infield and your outfield accustomed to the spots that you will be in so that when you're in them hopefully at Camden Yards one day yeah. it won't be a surprise so there's that there's also definitely more secondary pitches being thrown more of an emphasis on breaking balls and change-ups okay. fastball command is obviously still really important because if you can't command your fastball it makes it very difficult to have success but being able to mix up those pitches and also utilize them in different counts and I think that part of it at the very beginning of the season was what made it a little bit more difficult for our pitchers why the walk numbers were as high as they were but it's been fun to see some different guys on our team, such as a Brendan Hanafy, start to figure out, okay, I can throw a slider on a, in a hitter's counter, I can throw this pitch where in the past I would throw a fastball, yeah. and it's helping them develop and giving them a sense as to when I'm pitching in the major leagues, I'm already throwing a major league mix, and it just takes one of those elements of change out of there. And the manager, Ryan Miner, has been with this organization for over a decade now, and he's spent time up here. He's been down to Delmarva. He was drafted by this team way back in the 90s. How has he dealt with the kind of changes that he's had to make from up top, and how has he spread that kind of amongst his coaches to share with the players? Yeah, when it comes to Ryan, I think what's great about him is that he understands that this is part of the game now, and he was exposed to some of it in the Arizona Fall League. So when he got into this spot where he's seeing all these different changes being implemented, it's nothing that he's really not used to already. And he's by nature a very organized guy, so I think that helps him stay on top of everything that they're asking him to do. And, yeah. you know, a big part of being a manager is being a good administrator, and Ryan definitely does that. Nice. And in terms of the pitchers, you mentioned you know the way that guys have had to change their repertoires or use different pitches in different spots. One name that I'm sure a lot of Orioles fans will be familiar with is D.L. Hall, yeah. who has been great down here. And obviously, this kid is just loaded with potential. What have you seen from this kid? Because you know we've heard from up top, he has the stuff and he has the makeup in order to eventually maybe one day make it to the bigs. Oh, he definitely has the opportunity to make it to the big leagues. I mean, he has major league caliber stuff right yeah. now. Um, he's still working on commanding his pitches a little bit better, but given how young he is, I mean, this isn't somebody who's turned 21 years old until September. <laughs> there's not really a surprise when you're facing more veteran hitters. You're yeah. trying to learn how to pitch. I think there are times where maybe he could just focus on spotting up better and trusting he has enough stuff rather than reaching back and see if he has a little bit more. Yeah. But when he is in a spot where he's able to throw multiple pitches in the zone for strikes, you're not going to hit him. And when you've when you've had those days where he has been in that type of rhythm like he was recently when Carolina was in town, uh, it's really fun to watch. Yeah, two other guys in that rotation that I want to touch on. Um, Brendan Hanafy and Blaine Knight. Both of these guys, now Hanafy's going tonight, Blaine Knight obviously has gotten here and he struggled a little bit, but he still has loads of potential, still one of the Orioles' top prospects in their system. What have you seen from those two guys uh, that gives you faith that maybe they could be on their way to the bigs down the line? I think for Blaine and for Brennan, they're both great self-evaluators. You don't need to tell them if something didn't go very well. And for okay. Blaine, he's kind of joked that I sort of prefer if, if I stunk that you tell me I stink. <laughs> so that way I can realize that what I'm doing, I need to adjust and I need to fix. Yeah. Um, the slider has always been a big part of his repertoire. And and there have been times where he's shown a good one, but it's just remembering to attack hitters and trusting that he has good stuff. Um, you know, sometimes you know he'll get into a spot where he'll 
being a favorable count, and then maybe he'll try and be a little bit too fine on some of his pitches, and then it can lead him to getting into trouble. But as long as he just attacks the zone, trusts his stuff, he can put up good results. And there have been times this year where he has. But I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, too, that he's battling some adversity just because you don't want to find that for the first time when you get to the major leagues. Yeah. It can be jarring enough to go up there. So I think failing a little bit, seeing what he's made of, and he's definitely a really tough kid. I think this is actually going to help him out in the long term. And then for Brennan, you know, he sort of experienced the same thing at the very beginning of the year. When you're looking at somebody that's throwing a lot of sinkers, which is his bread and butter pitch all of last year and having a lot of success with it. You know, the numbers might have been good, but as he's talked about, it may not have been the best thing for him development-wise. So you bring him up to a higher level this year, you ask him to throw your slider maybe to start off in at bat, or you ask him to throw a changeup in a hitter's count. And at the very beginning, it didn't necessarily go so well. He missed with a lot of his pitches. He walked a lot more than he was typically walking. You look at the numbers from Delmarva. Yeah. He was always around the zone. But as the year has progressed and he's gotten more comfortable throwing his slider for strikes instead of it just being a pitch that he uses for putaways, throwing his changeup, that was a big reason why he had so much success in the nine-inning complete game shutout that he had against the Salem Red Sox. Those are both things that show his growth and development. And is, he's so smart for somebody that just turned 21. Yeah. And I think that you take his intellect and his work ethic, I think you've got somebody that could really contribute to the Orioles pitching staff at some point down the line because he works as hard as anybody that I've seen since I've been here. That's music to O's fans' ears <laughs> because they could definitely yeah. use some uh, – some pitchers in the in the pipeline and that's something that you know we hear from the minor league teams is you know the the fans at the obviously follow the major league team they just don't see it quite yet because it's not in triple a just yet but a lot of it's in double a a lot of it's down here in frederick a lot of it's in delmarva it's on its way it's just a few years away yeah exactly so, yeah. and I, I think there's just not you don't need to rush anything right now. I yeah. think everybody understands that this rebuild process is going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. And as you look at Toronto starting to come on in the next couple of years, the Rays always find a way to compete. And then the Red Sox have deep pockets and they have a lot of talent. And then the Yankees have not only deep pockets and great major league talent, but they have great minor league talent too. I don't think there's any reason to rush these players and yeah. think you're hopeful that by the time you have your Grayson Rodriguez or DL Hall or whoever, and they're at that point where they're able to go up to the major leagues. You're hopeful that they're going to be at a spot where they can not only get there, but stay there and contribute. Yeah. Might have been a Freudian slip. I almost thought I heard you say rutch some of these players. <laughs> maybe we'll see him in Aberdeen in know. a few days. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then maybe up here in a, in a few months. You never know. It was so cool to watch that video of him from that first game that he played in the Gulf Coast League and yeah. how that, that home run he hit, even though like the video was partially cut off, it was, it was yeah. impressive to watch. It really was, yeah. yeah. Can't wait to see him up back on the East Coast. Now, uh, in terms of the win-loss record, obviously second half has not, and even the first half have not mm -hmm. been maybe what the Ryan Miner and this team was expecting in terms of just wins and losses, but is there something you can say to O's fans who, you know, maybe are able to just check the box scores every now and again to give them a little bit more excitement in terms of saying it, you know, may not be showing up in the wins, but there's still a lot of talent that is in this system right now. I would say it shows up in the individual performances. And right. while, you know, I know Ryan talked to you about this, that it's about development. And while yeah. you want to win, and I think it's important that you establish a culture of winning, you realize that that's not always going to happen as you put guys in roles that they haven't been in before. Yeah. So the organization best knows what they have in a certain player. And I think that for 
you know, in terms of individual stories, like Zach Jarrett watching what he's been able to accomplish in the second half. I mean, you have him and Joe Reyes that are, you know, first and tied for second in the Carolina League in hits since the All-Star break. So they're doing a better job. You're starting to see each of them drive the baseball more, which is a big kicker for the Keys, being able to hit with runners in scoring position. They're starting to do that. So I'd say those two guys in particular, even though maybe the numbers in terms of wins and losses haven't been quite what you want them to be, how they've performed in the second half and some of the success that they've had, I think you look forward to that. And something that I try to remind fans too is that you know, it waxes and wanes. Like we saw, right. you know, Delmarva, how amazing they were to start the season. Looks like maybe they were almost too loaded with talent. And then the talent had to come up and maybe they lose a few more games because yeah. the talent has moved on. And I feel like that's the case here in terms of, like you guys had Cody Sedlock who just pitched five no-hit innings at a higher level. He's an awesome talent. It's just, he's so good, he had to move on. Yeah, I know. And then Mike Bauman, who started the All-Star exactly. game, just pitched a no-hitter. <laughs> and you're excited for them because by the time they get up to Bowie, they're battle-tested. Like, yeah. they've been through the ups and downs. And those are two great stories. Like, Mike, you know, last year he looked lights out at times. And then there were some times where he wasn't as consistent as he wanted to be. And then Cody basically missing all of last season and battling injuries since he really first arrived here. Yeah. The fact that he's been able to go through that and then come back this year work really hard, make adjustments, try to be better, develop his changeup. Like those are all great things. And now it's cool to see those guys seeing the fruits of their labor pay off at a higher level. Well, it's always cool to come down here and to see you guys and to see these young, talented players who we could see in Baltimore within the next couple of years. So thank you guys for giving us the tour around here, giving us the inside info into the Frederick Keys. Our pleasure. Jeff Arnold, of course, the broadcaster for the Frederick Keys, giving us all the inside info on the Orioles minor league affiliate.